1: Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share the latest information and leading edge thoughts to support the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring soul centered evolution. One definition of evolution is the gradual development of something, especially from a simple to a more complex form. Mission Evolution's focus is on this concept rather than the Darwinism or natural selection. Our interest is in the spiritual evolution that's increasingly possible as we move into the higher frequency area of the galaxy characterized by the Aquarian Age. The soul is defined as a spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal regarded as immortal. Therefore, no study of spiritual evolution is complete without addressing the soul. If the soul is immortal, does it evolve or is it perfect as is? As we evolve as individuals, do we become more soulful, more in alignment with the immaterial essence from which we came? If so, that would seem to indicate we're devolving into a prior simpler form. Or do we need to devolve into our original form as individuals before we can evolve as an interconnected species? Who better to help us contemplate soul-centered evolution than Thomas More? Thomas published his classic, care of the soul in 1992 and has since written 20 books on spirituality sexuality myth religion and depth psychology his books have been translated into 32 languages he's taught religious studies and psychology and has been a psych- psychotherapist for over 30 years thomas often speaks at cj young societies and has done special work consulting at major medical centers with the idea of bringing soul into medicine his website thomasmooresoul.com Thomas thanks so much for being with us today
2: very happy to be with you
1: so Thomas you've been contemplating the soul for many years what is your definition of soul
2: it's very very difficult to define because it has so many facets I would say that the closest I can come is to say that soul gives us or anything gives it depth uh, and It also helps uh, us as people to connect. We connect through soul with each other. And it also provides a sense of meaning. So those are just three, three elements, three things that the soul does for us. And I think otherwise it's better just to have a common sense notion of soul, the way we use it when you say, there's a person that has a soul. Or there's a house, that house has soul, I'd like to rent that house.
1: You lived in a Catholic monastery for 13 years. What effect did that have on your view of soul and religion?
2: It really affected me so much that um, I still feel that I'm uh, very close to those years, even though they were a long, long time ago. Uh, I, I think it wasn't just the ideas that I was taught. I had a very good education certainly in the spiritual life and also in the classics. Um, and, but the main thing was that I lived in a religious community. And that means a group of people who decide to live together to, to form a community that would be a model for the rest of the world. Uh, in other words, we shared everything in common. That was our vow of poverty. And uh, we didn't get married. That was our vow of chastity. And we did what was necessary for the community, which was our vow of obedience. I think we can still live those ideals today in the secular world. And even though I'm no longer a monk, I feel very much that I'm still living that life.
1: Does being cloistered from the ordinary world and all the constituent, you know, constant input from media and advertising help in becoming more soul-centered?
2: I do think it helps a great deal. Um, The monks. You know the monks are funny they they want to separate from the world, and uh, they really want to resist the world they don't want to become completely absorbed in the values of the culture around them at the same time they're not they're not escaping anything they are and they're not saying this world is horrible, they're not judging it that way. they're just saying that uh, that it's possible for many of us to without thinking about it, just um, uh, become identified with the values that we hear from the media all the time. The monk makes a conscious effort to get out of that unconsciousness. So
1: what does religion have to do with soul?
2: Well, there, there's a, a difference between soul and spirit in my way of looking at things and many of the people that I've learned from. So the the spirit would be that element in us or in the world that would take us uh, away, uh, away from the, the place where we are right now. In other words, you might learn more, you might develop more in your meditative and contemplative abilities and so on. You may have a bigger vision, and you may relate to the world in a very big way. That's so important, and that's the spirit. But as I work with a soul, what I mean by it, it is that depth of being in the world and in life. So just as the uh, people who are very spiritual, um, I think quite properly want to be detached. The person who is cultivating the soul really sees a value in being attached to the world and to various things in the world, like attached to your home and attached to your family attached to the region where you live. Those attachments that are full of heart, that's a major part of living at that deep level of soul. And the soul and spirit work together, but they're very distinct.
1: So does everything have soul like some indigenous peoples believe?
2: Yes, I follow those traditions. It's also in the West. People who wrote about the soul in the West have always said that everything has soul. The Greeks said the world is full of soul, and I think that's correct. So, and I mean it very specifically. So I definitely feel that an animal has a soul. Um, I think every person has a soul there in, in a you know, uh, stronger or weaker relation to it. Um, and uh, even in a way, you know, nature has its soul, and so do manufactured things, even the things we have around us have a certain soul, we become attached to them, and they have a presence. And I think the better we make them, the more present they are. So we could we could live in a world that is full of soul if we wanted to.
1: So it sounds like you're suggesting that when when we make things in a soulful or soul-centered way, we imbue them with soul? Does it come from us?
2: Yes, yes I think that's true. That's just not my idea. That I got that idea from from writings that I've studied from about, I don't know, like 500 A.D., a very long time ago. They say that if, if you are if you, are a, good, uh, you know, a good maker, if you can make something really well, then soul um, is, yeah, it's imbued with soul. That's a good way of putting it. The way they say it sometimes is that the soul has no choice but to, to take residence in that thing that you make.
1: How different would this world be if we all could learn how to be a builder, a maker with soul?
2: Well, I think that's a wonderful ideal, and that's why the arts and crafts are so important. And if you look at history, um, I think, for example, in England in the 19th century, when the development of um, the Industrial Revolution, uh, some artists came forward, like William Morris, he came forward and he said, uh, we are losing our soul to all of this industry and too much labor. And he started making wallpaper, I mean, vivid wallpaper, as his response to that soulless industrial life. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a good example. If you look at William Morris wallpaper even today, even reproductions, I think you can be overwhelmed by the intensity of the natural world that he was able to put into that wallpaper. And what an interesting thing to do something as simple as that, to make wallpaper as your response to the Industrial Revolution.
1: Well, the Industrial Revolution uh, had people trying to recreate things very precisely. That pretty much stripped all the soulful creativity out of it, didn't it?
2: Well, yes, it did. And we continue to do that today. We're, We're at a different level of that revolution, you know, with the technological revolution and so on. But, yes, we have that problem, too. And I'm afraid that that idea bleeds over into almost everything else, even in the fields of medicine and psychology. They are losing their soul, and uh, that's a sad state.
1: Well, isn't that really what we're looking at planet-wide, is everything seems to be disconnecting and falling apart?
2: Well, the thing is, uh, we've always been falling apart. I mean, that's part of it. Human life, it's strange, you know, we're always falling apart. And if you read people who are very concerned about the world, maybe three or four hundred years ago, they'd be saying the same thing. The world is falling apart. We must do something. There's something archetypal, something mythic about feeling that the world is falling apart. That doesn't mean it's not real. It's just that in our time, we have to respond in our own way to that sense that we've really got to get going and turn the world in a different direction Of course, that's the whole motivation of my work. That's the only reason I've written all these books, try to have have some voice saying we need more soul in this world.
1: Well, we're going to have to take a little break here, but on the other side, I would love to figure out how can we get soul back into our lives and into the world before it's too late. It's time for a commercial break. Thomas and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, Coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, you.
3: Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
1: We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on XFBN.net, where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. back. This is the Mission Evolution radio show. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have to offer, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Thomas Moore. His website, thomasmooresoul.com. Thomas, we were saying how are we going to get soul back into the things that we do so that uh, we can bring life back to everything we do?
2: we have to do it, first of all, in our own individual lives. I mean, we are all, you know, our culture is made up of individuals. And I don't think we realize the power we have to influence other people by our example. So I think we could begin as any kind of care of the soul should begin at home. I think one of the greatest needs of the human soul is a feeling of home. It's not necessarily the house we live in, although it could be. Most of us, I think, feel at home in our houses. And so the house is a very important thing to take care of. You, you pay attention to your house and you, you, make, it, uh, you make it warm. Uh, remember that heart and soul go together. So if there's, you use your heart to figure out what your house needs. And you invite friends over and you have family members connected. All of that creates soul. Better relationships with our families would be a very good start as well. And then we can just branch out from that. Uh, most of us then, they have to work. And we could be very careful about the work that we do. We don't just do any old work. If we all chose to do work that was meaningful, that connected to our heart, that really seemed to be work that we are called to do, at least have that as an ideal, if you can't do it right now, think of it as your life is heading toward finally having the work, the job that matches your soul, matches your your feeling of destiny, what you feel you're on this earth for, and I think if we did that, that would really transform many things. What if we did just just did those two things took care of our homes, and really made them warm and Really connected to them, and secondly, did work that was an expression of who we are. Uh, that would be a, a tremendous start to making a more soulful world.
1: You know, it was just a beautiful thought too, because I know that um, I, I'm an old-fashioned kind of gal, and I love homemaking. I work. Don't get me wrong, I love that too, but making a comfortable place with good food and just filled with warmth and love for the people that come to visit with me is very important to me. And I notice people change in the presence of that. What's the energy behind that? What creates that?
2: There's something about ordinary life that is so valuable. It, uh, it has meaning for us. You know, it really has a lot of meaning. Sometimes when we use the word meaning about life, we have very exalted ideas of what meaning is about it could be about good recipes. I mean, as a psychotherapist, and I'm talking to people about their problems, often I will tell them they should learn some good recipes and start cooking. because. And I've seen this. I've seen people who are depressed start cooking, and their depression lifts, because this is one of the things we do as human beings that connects us to other people. And it also is so basic, and Gets us connected to the natural world and to the processes. And not only that, but those processes of cooking food are metaphors and mirrors for the processes that go on inside of us. So it could be a very, very deep experience to learn how to cook well and prepare those foods for our friends and family members.
1: So we're talking soul food, aren't we?
2: We are. Absolutely. (laughs) Food for the soul. soul
1: What was the same? It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? When you're making a meal, you're doing the same thing as, as making um, a mindful object. So you're, you're actually increasing the frequency of the food. And isn't that what saying grace over food is about as well?
2: Yes, we, when we say grace, that's just an important thing to do no matter how you do it because it takes our experience of eating to another level. So whatever your belief is, it's not, that's not important. What is important is that by saying some sort of prayer uh, over our food, we are recognizing that food has such depth, it has such meaning, that it's not just ordinary, there's something truly sacred of tremendous value in eating and cooking.
1: Mm -hmm. You're you're a psychologist. How does your concept of soul impact your work?
2: That's really a good question. Um, It has affected my work a a great deal because... uh, People come to me usually because they don't want to have the usual life management they get from therapists or, or coaches and people counselors, people like that. They know that I represent the soul and I'm going to go deep, and I'm not there to try to make their lives work better. I'm there to help them have a deeper appreciation for what life is about and deeper pleasure and joy in our relationships and the things we do every day. So by by focusing on the soul, um, problems, other problems, tend to diminish. But not because we've solved them, but because we have really paid attention to the things that matter in life.
1: Isn't that so true? You, you, where, you, where you pay attention is where your power goes. And if you're paying attention to the small, petty agonies of life versus the larger picture... That's, that's going to be your experience, isn't it? How can we get this higher vision? What's the first step?
2: Well, I always say that the, the first step most people should take to expand their vision and to find the soul and spirit too is nature, the natural world. That's what, that's what uh, monks have done for centuries and centuries. Um, I spent a lot of time in Ireland. I love to visit the monasteries in ireland especially those on the coast because these monks understood that they had to be in nature where it is showing itself in very powerful ways so they built their many of their monasteries on islands surrounded by water and with a view of the natural world and at some distance from the, uh, the you know the world of commerce and activity so I think that's true for any of us. And we're going back to the very first thing you and I talked about today: um, how can you be a monk today? You can be a monk by getting some distance from the world, but not to not to disdain it, but to um, to have more appreciation for the natural world and to learn so much from nature, wherever it is, um, whether it's on a lake or in a river or mountain or desert, wherever it is. Uh, by being close to it, you change. I think you expand, and that is a very good start for anybody.
1: And how how we surround our homes with even just by putting house plants in, or um, if we have a little yard, how we tend to that does that help as well?
2: Oh, well, of course it does. And uh, and if you're in the city, plants can really help a great deal. Or going to parks, a park can be just as well. You don't have to have any, you don't have to be in raw nature way out there and. Acres and acres of territory. You can be in a small space. You can even, as I was saying before, William Morris, you can do that. He brought nature into the home by making wallpaper that was full of natural forms, very vivid natural forms. You can have paintings that do it as well. You can paint your walls. You know, you can do so many things that bring nature. Um, I once was on a train in the Adirondacks. That was a 19th century train. And the seats were all upholstered with vines and uh, branches and flowers on them. I thought how interesting that those people understood that you need to bring nature into your living space in order to keep that connection with it.
1: There's some beautiful, um, uh, more natural buildings going up. Um, People seem to be getting back to that. Are Are you aware of some of that movement, using the wood and the natural shapes and all that stuff?
2: Oh, yes. I'm very, very interested in in architecture. I'm particularly interested in medical architecture because I would like to see more of that natural building being uh, done for hospitals and medical centers and even doctor's offices. It's a shame. You know, it's really amazing when you go into a doctor's office and there's no nature, really. I mean, I understand that a plant can help, but some plants are only afterthoughts. You know, they, they don't really do it. You need more than that. You really have to realize how we live in nature, and that's where the source of our healing is. So there are many ways in which we could build buildings that would help us rather than cut us off from the sources that we need.
1: What do you see as the ramifications of this widespread separation from nature and from the soul?
2: we become dried up people you know we get depressed why are we depressed a lot of people get depressed because they don't have that vitality that the natural world could give them you know people do go off into the woods sometimes when they've really had it with their offices they need to get away i live on a little lake myself in new hampshire and i just was in a store yesterday and heard these people talking that they're coming here for the summer i live here year-round I'm mm-hmm. coming here for the summer, and I'm thinking, yes, it's a good thing. they need to get away. Not that the city's not good, it's just that they need that natural world. We all need it.
1: It brings us back to the to our true nature, really, doesn't it?
2: We are natural, yes, we are like nature, so much, and all the metaphors work so well. Uh, you know sometimes our uh, you know we we thunder in our speech we uh, uh, we feel raw, uh, we feel, uh, un, un, you know, we feel, we have these feelings that we are cut off from, from our own deep inner nature as well. There's a strong connection between our own uh, personal nature and the natural world. So by being in nature, we actually find ourselves because in a sense, that's who we are. Mm-hmm. It seems metaphorical, but it's a little more than that because what we're doing is we're finding our basic organic well, We're going to have to.
1: I'm sorry, we're going to have to return to our roots on the other side of the short pause. Thomas and I will return to our discussion. And don't you dare go away. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net.
0: broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. AVS Media
3: You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more.
1: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing leading-edge information supporting the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, missionevolution.org, and while you're there, you can visit our blog. I'm your host, Gilda Wiecka. We're speaking with Thomas Moore. His website, Thomasmoresoul.com. So, Thomas, if the soul is the interconnected place between all beings and nature holds the balance that we need to maintain Physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. Now that we're, for the most part, very disconnected from our soul, what are we seeing as the ramifications? What's going on? Does that have to do with all these health problems we're having?
2: Yes, I think there's a very close relationship between physical health and the health of the soul. That's just almost obvious. Uh, people understand that if you are unhappy at work, you may have, you know, you may. Have, uh, develop some physical symptoms. So it's very important for us to maintain our health, to look at our soul. Uh, one that some people suggest, I think it's a very good idea, that when you get sick, you might ask the question, what was going on in my life when I first became aware of this illness? It's a way of connecting your physical well-being to what is happening. Uh, in modern medicine, we we tend to look at the that the body is separate from our meaningful life. And, and we just treat the body as an object then and organs and, you know, we use medications and surgeries for it. But I think, I really think in the future, the future of medicine will be to understand so much better how the way we live and the state of our emotional life, our relationships are connected specifically to some of the problems that we have physically.
1: Mm. You know, um, one of my teachers was a Lakota elder, a medicine man, and when he would treat, he would go into the family because he says all illness starts within the home. So he would, instead of looking at the individual, he would look at the family dynamics because he felt that, that strongly that the imbalance started there. Is this kind of what you're talking about?
2: That's part of it, yes. You know, you could also say maybe it's the same thing to look at the marriage or look at the workplace. Those, all of those areas are very intense parts of our daily lives. And what's going on there, the stresses we feel, the conflicts we have, can easily be converted into a physical problem. So, um, you know, I think that what we have to do is just shift our mindset so that we're not only thinking of, of, of our bodies as being sick, as, as that just being a physical thing. That our the state of our soul is expressed in the state of our physical health.
1: Okay, I got another one for you here. If indeed, when we do make things in a soulful way, we are imbuing them with a higher frequency of soul. If we're living our life in a fearful, hateful, um, stressed-out way, aren't we also imbuing our environment with that?
2: Absolutely. Yes, it works both ways. Yes. Yeah, so you want to be careful. The things you use, you 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 want to see if maybe. Some people who are um, pretty happy with their lives are making those things, or are they things being made by people who are who are neurotic and sick? I th- I feel this way about some uh, movies that I watch that come out of Hollywood. I get the feeling sometimes, and I have had some contact with uh, filmmakers, um, that that some of these people are really messed up, you know, they're personally, and they make their movies and millions or at least thousands of people watch them, that is not good for the health of those people watching those films. Not because they're not well made, but because they express the illness of the person making them. So I think in everything it's a very good idea to to be careful where you get things. That's why it's so nice to know the people who are making the things you have and use to maybe know craftspeople who are making things, that you can have them in your home and you say, oh, yeah, you see this you know, you know, see this uh, salad bowl that you're using, and say, oh, I remember where I got that and how nice the person was who gave that to me and how friendly and able to be you know, with people in a very nice way. Well, that's pretty good. That's the soul of the maker coming through the thing, and we use it every day. It's nice to be able to use something made by someone who's not, Full of all kinds of emotional problems.
1: You know, um, on the other hand, we might get something from China where people were abused that were making it and this and that. There's this thing I call the blessing way. And that's no matter where something comes from, we can always send gratitude down the line and send a blessing and transmute that energy. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit?
2: Yes. I, you know, I hesitate uh, what I just said. I don't want to say that people who are having problems can't can't make beautiful things they certainly can most you know like many many artists have been quite a quite uh you know a struggling with uh with life but um yes i think that we can do that we can uh, we can change the things that we have we can sort of i don't know how you would put it but re-bless them in some way you know to to move them in a different direction we might want to uh to use these use the objects that we have um, carefully so that we do surround them with an attitude that redeems them from the way in which maybe the context in which they were made and of course we want to i think them so important to to make our culture more soulful and that means to make the working conditions better so that people are able to be themselves and contribute their their souls to the work they're doing, no matter how menial, no matter how simple the thing is that they're making. We we could really think about the workplace, um, how people are feeling and thinking as they do their work, and not just see them as extensions of the machines that they're working at
1: there is some quite a bit of talk about machines taking over the world if you will because our algorithms and everything are getting so uh, precise and um, that a lot of the things are being taken over by computers and this and that would you speak to that and how that relates to soul
2: well we are moving along we are evolving technologically and i think it's a great thing i mean i don't want anyone to take my computer away from me i love it i'm able to write all these books and and the better the technology gets, the better it is. I, I think it's a terrific thing, but the, the, these are tools and instruments, and even artificial intelligence and algorithms that that are used all the time are tools. They are not at all substitutes for you know people, uh, for people and people with uh, depth. Um, so I think the thing to do is to uh, keep creating these these things and. Let technology continue to develop. Um, but at the same time, at the very same time, we have to work toward a more soulful world. And we have to work for the arts especially. I often cite a wonderful painter from the 19th century, Edward Byrne Jones. He said that every for every invention science comes up with, he would paint an angel. Mm. I think that's a great, I call that the Byrne Jones effect. It's um, it's a pattern we can use, and we can use it in our own lives. For every new gadget we bring into our home, for every great piece of technology, let's also get a painting. Let's also get a, a rug made by, by somebody who is using traditional methods of making a beautiful rug um, to offset, or not offset, but I guess to complement the, the technological advance.
1: You see the soul as immortal, yes?
2: That's really a tough question, but yes, I do, yes, I really do.
1: So if it's immortal, does it evolve or is it perfect just like it is?
2: That's also difficult. One of my teachers is a a Renaissance man named Marsilio Ficino who explored all these questions. He says, the soul is partly in time and partly in eternity. I think what he's getting at is that there is a dimension of soul that is uh, conditioned by time. And there's a part of soul, an element in soul, that is immortal or, not, or timeless, not affected by time. I, I, I like that solution to it, that um, we can do both. We can see that we have, to, we have to realize how much our soul is affected by what's happening day after day. And at the same time, we have an immortal part a timeless part that, that uh, gives us a tremendous dignity and uh, hope.
1: What role does soul and soul-centered living have to do with evolution?
2: Well, we have to re- remember that evolution is not just a, uh, a function of science. It's not just something that science can talk about. We can evolve as people. We can evolve in our understanding of the world, we can evolve as, in the way we treat each other. We can evolve as parents in the way we take care of children. I don't like to hear evolution talked about only in scientific or very high spiritual terms. There's also the soul evolution, which is what I was just saying. Maybe the evolution in how we take care of our homes and cities, how we um, how we help families get along Uh, Right now, uh, political questions about how much the government should support people. I think that if we were evolving at the level of soul, we would have great care for each other. We'd see each other. We'd see that we're all living in a community, and we would care for each other. We wouldn't just go after our own things, you know, the things we need, and say that, you know, as long as I've got mine, that's all that matters. This deep sense of community is part of soul. And I think that that, we can evolve as a community. I have been very much influenced by the Jesuit priest, uh, Pierre uh, Teilhard de Chardin, who talked about spiritual evolution. And he was a paleontologist who was a scientist who understood evolution at the scientific level. But he saw us developing, hopefully, toward a deeper and deeper sense of community. I really like that. That,
1: that idea about evolution. I do too. And community is an important part of our evolution that we'll have to pick up after this quick break. Thomas and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
3: 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, sci-fi, and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand, live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today.
0: The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness expose novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com.
1: The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the New Age? Is it a religion, a collection of obscure esoteric practices, a series of doomsday predictions, or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complementary publication, bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution radio show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gilda Wiecka. I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Thomas Moore. His website, thomasmoorsoul.com. As, Thomas, as we evolve as individuals, do we become more in, li- in, uh, in alignment with our, our soul that's already there?
2: Uh, the way I would put that is that uh, we are born with our with a soul, and we uh, that is like a seed. Or it's uh, it's it's complete. We are complete in a way, but we need to unfold, like to make it all uh, spread out in our lives, you know, and be re- be fulfilled and realized in our life. So, and that's that's the way I look at it. That that the, that the soul is, is um, opening up. We're discovering who we are constantly. And who we are is not on the surface. It's not, it's not, and it's not just connected to our family what our family was. Part of becoming a person means to distinguish yourself, separate from the family, and be your own person, even though you will always have those family influences. But you can more and more become your own individual person. So I see it as a kind of unfolding. That's a word I get from my studies in uh, medieval theology, actually, about how we unfold and we also enfold. In other words, we kind of are always going back into our source and into our beginnings. And that, that dynamic goes back and forth. And so we, our soul is, uh, is always present to us, and yet we are changing. And as we change, we're not just we're not just moving up a line, like going straight up in a one direction. Uh, the soul is unfolding almost uh, like in cycles and circles. That's how I see it.
1: I, uh, I love that.
2: Cycling, yeah. We're I cycling love that because
1: if you've ever watched time photography of a rose blooming, it doesn't just open up. It opens and then it closes and then it opens a little more and then it closes. And doesn't all life operate like that with expansion, contraction, breath in, breath out? Is that the same functioning that you're talking about with unfolding of the soul?
2: It is. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, uh, it, it, we, we have moments when we backtrack. I mean, you know, we have all these ideals of what we should be and then we find out that we don't do what we hoped we so we kind of fall back. So there is that too, the cycling means that we we're not always going forward, sometimes we're going backward. And as a therapist, for example, when I hear a person saying that they they feel like they're going backward now, that they've lost ground, well, I can see that that's valuable. Or if they feel stuck, that's a very common feeling. Feeling stuck and are not they're not they're not in that movement anymore. Well, there's a place for that stuckness. Maybe it's accomplishing something for us. I never advocate moving forward for its own sake. If a person is not moving forward, I'm with them in their backwardness or in their stuckness. But it's part of a whole rhythm, a very big rhythm. And if you look at the whole thing, stand back and look at, I think then it'd be easier to see that your failures somehow contribute to the overall movement.
1: That that movement is even reflected in the galaxy. So it goes it a long sure. way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It so,
2: you know, uh, go ahead. Well, my latest book, Ageless Soul, has a a shell on it, uh, on the cover, that has the same mathematics, the same ratios as the galaxy. Mm. So that's, that's, that idea is there. It's the, that's the way we are, too. We are in our daily life, let's say one day of our life might be a recapitulation of what we've been doing our whole lives. So we are cycling, moving forward, but doing it in this complicated way.
1: We know if we take this back to where we started, um, and you were, you were talking about how reconnecting with nature is so important. Nature has this movement in it. If we reconnect with nature and with that movement, we can come back into our natural timing and evolution. Would you speak to
2: that a little bit? Uh, well, yes. Um, the, there's something in this movement of ours that is quite natural, I think, yes. We don't know who we are to be. If I look back on my life, if I was now 15 years old, talking to myself at 15, I wouldn't have a slight idea what I would become. I may have had some thoughts of what I would have become in my life, but never would I have said I was going to write 30 books on the soul. I would never have said that. I mean, it would have been facetious to me then. We don't know who we are, and we are in a way following our nature as it unfolds we are obeying our nature we are following and not leading that's how i see it that's the best thing you don't you don't force yourself to be something you think you should be instead what you do is you look for the signs what have you been invited to do what can you know what is the invitation that life has given you for me it was Going to various schools and getting these degrees, I didn't know really why I was getting them even. But now when I look back, now I'm able to write these books because of all that work I did, even though I didn't know what I was doing it for. I think Mm. that's the way we evolve.
1: Does soul have access to knowledge or wisdom that the mind does not?
2: Uh, Certainly the soul has access to knowledge that the mind does. The mind is quite limited. I would say the soul is much greater. The soul gives us, the soul works through images. The soul is more poetic, uh, interested in the stories that we tell and uh, and looking at images like artistic images or movies or uh, you wanna make something, you know, you make something beautiful with your craft. Uh, you just make a garden and tend your garden. That's such a soulful thing to do. But think about how much you learn as you tend your garden. You learn things not only about how to make plants grow. You learn about nature. You learn about yourself, and you become a certain kind of person because you're working in a garden. Not everyone has to work in a garden; it might be something else. But at least there are ways in which we, I think, we do discover through the soul. We learn so much of of the greatest importance. I think of that's more important. That's why I don't agree with this approach to education that focuses on STEM, on mathematics and science. As valuable as that is, I don't think that should be our focus. Our focus really should be on the soul matters. Learn how to cook. Learn how to be with people and, and deal with your emotions. Learn how to paint or sculpt or make music, whatever you do artistically. I think education ought to be based on those things matters of soul
1: if more of us embrace the concept that everything has soul what effect do you think it'll have on the way we treat the earth
2: we would understand that the earth is a living being that, the, that, that things have soul and so does the planet the planet has a soul so the planet is not just understood by the scientists as valuable as what they, they do it is I mean it's so important to learn the science of the earth it helps us in so many ways, but it can also mislead us in the thinking that this Earth is some object that we're living on. It's like a platform or a table or something like that. It's a living being. It has a personality. It has a soul, a face. You look at that wonderful image of the Earth from space and you see that you're looking at a face. You're looking at something that has a personality and it's not the same as any other planet. Look at Mars. It's not the same. So our planet is is, uh, is a living being with a personality. And if we could treat it that way and be sensitive to it, we are so, I mean, that's us anyway. We are part of it. We are not on it. We are of it. We don't live on the earth. We live of the earth. We're part of the earth. We're an expression of the earth. And if we don't take care of it, it's like suicide. We're just hurting ourselves. <laughs>
1: Is there a place where all souls become as one?
2: Um, well, it's hard to say. We are, we are one, certainly. Um, always. We're always one. We don't recognize it. But when you think about it, we are. When you see someone going through some kind of suffering, if someone in your family uh, develops cancer... I think it's very. It doesn't take a big step to recognize that's you too. That you are going through that. You can be so identified with it. It's not just because you're compassionate. It's because you are that person. That at a deep level, if you can contemplate human life to that extent, you can see that we are all the same. We are all one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how once we start to recognize that, then we take care of ourselves and each other in a whole different way, don't we?
2: It would make all the difference in the world. This illusion that we are separate hurts us tremendously.
1: Mm. Yeah, it does. It does. This has been so fascinating. I could go on forever, but we are just about to run out of time. Thomas, tell us what's next for you.
2: Well, I'm writing two books right now, one on therapy, uh, and I'm writing it so that anyone could learn how to help each other, help someone else, some of the family member or friend, with more Mm -hmm. sophistication. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing a book called The Nine Laws of Life, summarizing some of these things we're talking
1: about. Fantastic. Well, they can find that on your website, but unfortunately we are out of time. Thanks for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Thomas Moore, the author of 20 books on spirituality, sexuality, mix myth, religion, and depth psychology, including his classic, Care of the Soul. His website, thomasmooresoul.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Until next time. Join us when the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.